You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple Film. I'm Steve. No, I'm Matt. And we're starting a new franchise, the franchise that the fans voted on. Matt, what are we looking at? You guys wanted us to watch the Alien franchise. So we're starting with Alien from 1979. Some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. We're only halfway there. Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. Why? She's programmed to do that should certain conditions arise. They have. Like what? Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon that uh, repeats at intervals of 12 seconds. SOS. I don't know. Human. Ridley Scott's original masterpiece of horror sci-fi, the one that started it all, if you will. Oh, I loved watching this one over again. Uh, I just, this has something special to it. Yeah, I've seen this movie like a billion times, and I can just pop it on anytime and just jump right in. When it, even when it's on TV, I leave it on. You know, like it's it's it is a classic for a reason, and it is very watchable. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's paced really well. I don't even know the running time on this. I never pay attention to it because I never care. Yeah, I mean, this movie just flies by. It's just shy of two hours, and you never really feel any of it. And one of the things I think that's so amazing about this movie and the pacing. By traditional standards, the first half of this movie is air quotes slow, but there's you care there's so much interesting shit going on, you know, beyond sort of its quote unquote slowness that like it never you never feel it. And you're you know, you're being thrust into this new world and there's these cool sets and costumes and these archetypal characters that are our focal point. And even even with its sort of slow burn beginning, you never feel it. No, I never do either. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Jaws. It's it's a build up. Yep. Uh, and the build up's worth it because when you get to the end, you're just like in awe of what you're seeing. 
Uh, so I, I love everything about this from the production designs to the very simplified characters that somehow work because they're basically characters just with characteristics. They don't really have a background story. No, and it's kind of nice. It, it is kind of nice not having it all filled up with everybody's background. I don't want to know what anybody's home life was like here. I'm interested in what's going on now in, with these characters. So I think that that works really well for the movie. Yeah, some movies pull that off really well. And and I wonder if it has to do with like a movie like the, a monster movie. I almost you're right. I, I'm more interested in the present. I don't want to hear about I'm trying to get home because blah, 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 or, you know, and all that. It, it's just I actually think that's something that at least the first three. Well, I can't remember the, a lot of the third one, but like we just don't give a shit about the majority of the character's background. We just want characteristics. Yeah, and I think that's what works really well about this franchise. I mean, you're you're coming to see the sets and the monster and or monsters and the droids and all that stuff. And then, you know, the human stuff, the background of the human stuff doesn't matter. You know, that's us. That's, you know, what we're bringing to it. And I think that's what works so well in this one. And in uh, three kind of does the same kind of thing. Yeah, just give us just enough characteristics to make it interesting. But don't bog it down. Don't, you know, don't make it heavy. And then, you know what? Let the actors like performance shine through more than anything else. Yeah. And talk about performances. Everybody is so top notch in this. And I mean, you recognize every actor in this movie. If you're a movie fan, like everybody is familiar and everybody's bringing it. I talk a lot in some of the other uh, episodes of this podcast about movies where it's just characters talking in a room and you've got several scenes of that in this movie, but the actors are so good and everything you're kind of looking at is so delicious that it, it never feels like just characters talking in a room. <laughs> these, these actors elevate kind of all this material so well. Pace is just right. Perfect. This is a perfectly paced movie. <laughs> That's a perfect space horror movie i mean it's just perfect alien movie whatever you want to talk about it's just i love it yeah there's a reason this is the gold standard and it's 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 warranted it's totally valid and everyone is trying to rip it off from like 1980 to hell i don't even know into the now and and it's so exciting because the ripoffs are fun you know what i mean like they're not all good but like even even ripping off this movie can still make you a good movie. <laughs> yeah, because it's fun. It works. <laughs> uh, my history with this, I actually saw Alien and Aliens on the same day. On a rainy Saturday, I went over to a friend's house and there we were looking for stuff to watch. And instead of watching Predator for the, I don't know, eighth hundred time, I noticed these two movies that they had. And I'm like, what are those? And they're like, oh my God, you haven't seen Alien and Aliens? No. Yeah, I was like nine years old, 10 years old, whatever it was. And I think this is right before all the toys came out, right before Alien 3. We were about geared up to get into Aliens. I, I would have had no choice, but I still was into the very beginning of the Ninja Turtles at this point or something. These things blew my mind. I had never seen anything like them. Same kind of experience in that, like, I I saw Aliens and Alien 3 first. 
they were on TV a lot when I was first growing up and I got the toys and I, those are predominantly what the toys are from. So two and three were in heavy rotation and I saw them a lot as a young kid. And I didn't see this first one till it was a little older, you know, and really, really getting into like horror movies and wanting to see sort of the classics. And same, I popped this movie in and I just, it just blew my mind. You know, there's so much pop culture stuff you already know about this movie and it doesn't even matter when you watch it because it's its own thing and like it has no and I don't want to say it has no right to be as good as it is or whatever because it earns it but like it's shocking how good this movie is the first time you watch it I uh, completely agree I just when I saw this and we watched it in order uh, I remember my friend going like yeah the second one's a lot better but the first one's really good enough you know when we were kids, I understood yeah, yeah, why exactly. uh, the second one has a lot more of boom, boom, bang, bang. As an adult, the first one, in my opinion, is a lot better for the sheer fact that the pacing, like we said before, it's just I think this movie has perfect pacing. Yeah, it does. It truly does. Like I, there's like you were saying, there's never a point where you're looking at the clock when you're watching this. And if you've seen it like a thousand times like we have You'd think you'd be like, okay, I kind of know what's going on. I'm going to check the time. Still, even 100 times later seeing it, you're never looking at the clock. Okay, so let's check out the front. I have two of them. I think I have two different ones, and then you have another one. So Yeah, we've got three different aliens here. Uh, mine, both are very similar. Uh, we have the alien name at the top, and then the egg cracking. Mine's the same. Mine is just, it says 20th anniversary edition at the top. Uh, this is where the egg cracking with the green light coming through is the whole box. This isn't one of like the tiny square box, like uh, the some of the Aliens and Alien 3 re-releases and stuff I have. This is the full box here. And it has a little bit of like the planet as like the bottom where it has like the THX logo. So it takes up, the egg takes up most of the focal point on the box here. Yeah, I have one of them as the green uh, like box around the green egg that has like the green light coming out of it. What I always find fascinating about these eggs, it's cracking at the bottom. Yeah, where it does not in the movie. <laughs> Clearly, whoever came up with this egg, they didn't know what it was supposed to look like. There's like it's like an egg and an alien comes out of it. I think the visual is really cool looking. Makes for a great poster. It yeah. may not fit the movie, but it makes for a great poster. Yeah, the only real difference is my CBS Fox video has the bottom of it is like a biological grid. Yeah, yeah, I've got that one on mine, too. I don't know what that is. I would assume it's like the planet, you know, in, in terms of the poster world of it. I would assume that's like the, the LV426 or whatever, which is tomorrow, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> when we're recording this. Oh, shit, it is. We timed this perfectly. Thanks for voting for this, fans. You timed it out perfectly for us. <laughs> and again, completely, like, no clue. <laughs> there is one thing that you and I have, like, connected throughout our time as podcasting. We always do something on an anniversary of something that we don't even know is coming. Yeah, on a whim, just because. <laughs> <laughs> uh, both of the descriptions on mine are really short. How about yours? Pretty short, yeah. Let me know if yours is much different than the original one here. I have the ultimate in science fiction color 1979. I think it's funny that it starts. That's the first it starts thing. with that. <laughs> it, star it starts with something in parentheses. Interesting. Okay. 
In deep outer space, the crew of the commercial spaceship make an unscheduled landing on a barren and desolate planet for engine repairs. They encounter a pulsating organism which attached itself to one of the crew members and reproduces within his body to become the deadly alien. As each of the crew members is slain by the creature one by one, the final confrontation between the last surviving crew member and the alien culminate in an explosive conclusion. 116 minutes. So I'm going to read mine because it's it's like weirdly similar, but it's it there is variation because it's reflecting basically. So here's what mine says. Alien is the first movie of one of the most popular sagas in science fiction history and introduces Sigourney Weaver as Ripley, the iron-willed woman destined to battle the galaxy's ultimate creature. The terror begins when a, the crew of a spaceship investigates a transmission from a desolate planet and discovers a life form that has perfectly evolved to annihilate mankind. One by one, each crew member is slain until Ripley is left, leading to an explosive conclusion that sets the stage for its stunning sequel, Aliens. So I think it's funny it uses like the same kind of buzzwords of like explosive conclusion and one by one and slain and desolate planet, uh, but like is wording it like slightly differently to be reflecting and also just promote aliens weirdly. <laughs> One thing I noticed about the original one is it says like it was repairing something in its ship and that's why it's landed, but that's not why they landed. Yeah, they're responding to the transmission. Yeah, and then it busted their ship up when they did land. Again, someone who kind of wrote it not knowing what it was, but pretty close. But watched it like once and didn't really know what was going on for sure. <laughs> yeah, this one's mono too, the original one I have. Uh, this one is this THX remastered one. Um, so I'm assuming 1999 it's stereo because it's later. And it, it does sound, I guess, good. But I mean, it sounds like a VHS still, though. But uh, I can't nowadays with uh, the flat screen TVs and the HD TVs and whatever. I can't tell the difference between stereo and mono now <laughs> anymore anyway. Unless I actually have headphones on watching something. Right. Um, and then like I take like one half of it off. For some reason, like Sarah comes up and talks to me. That's when I can tell. Exactly. Headphones would be the only way I would know to. I guarantee you there's someone out there who's like a huge audio head and they're like, no, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> you're right. I, and I don't have a fancy sound system. I mean, I have a sound bar, but I got it from Walmart. So it's not like <laughs> the state of the art. <laughs> it all kind of sounds the same to me. I can hear it. <laughs> So let's pop this tape in. Now available on video and DVD. I have no trailers on either of mine. How about you? I have four, but I'll just go through them really quickly. I have uh, the very first one is for the X-Files first three seasons tape set. Um, and it just kind of goes through some of the plot points that are happening in those first three seasons of X-Files. Very nostalgic. You know, this came out in 1999. It feels like, you know, when X-Files was on top of the world. And of course, it's aliens. It would be on this tape. And it was a fun little nostalgia trip. Two you may be more aware of that I'm not as aware of, though, were two games. Next trailer was for the Alien Resurrection game. Did you ever play that one? Alien Resurrection. Coming soon to PlayStation and Windows 95 CD-ROM from Fox Interactive. No, I only played the isolation game from like 2002. 
And I thought that was kind of the only game there was, but the third trailer is for a uh, Alien versus Predator game that looks oh, yeah. kind of similar to Isolation in that it's like kind of like first person-y and stuff is jumping out at you, kind of Doom-esque or whatever. This spring, the deadliest creatures in the universe will meet their match. Each other. Alien. Predator. Marine. Danger. Warning. Destroyed. Three hunters. One universe. You decide who will survive. Aliens versus Predator. Only for your PC from Fox Interactive. All personnel must evacuate. I never played this one either. Uh, I never heard of it, <laughs> but I guess there's there was an Aliens versus Predator, and it seems like it's got like characters from Aliens in it as well. Like it has the Marines. Solo Alien games, there's not many, but Predator versus Alien games, I think there's four or five. Oh, okay. Yeah, because in 93, Super Nintendo came out with one. I think 94, Sega came out with one very similar, but a little different. And then 2001, we had an Alien versus Predator, but I think that was number two. So I, I don't know. There's Actually, there might be more than I thought. I don't know. I just never really played them much. Yeah, I definitely didn't play any of the the games for any like the single movies the versus ones or i didn't even i didn't even play isolation so i but i was aware kind of of that one but yeah these are two of the main featured trailers on here uh so promoting the games and then the, the final trailer on here is something that i i really i don't like when vhs re-releases do this it has the trailer for alien before right before the movie starts you know, I, I get it because you put the trailer on like a DVD, but I do wish it was after because imagine if I had just picked up this movie and never seen the movie and then you're showing me the trailer before. I don't know. I wish it would be after. And a lot of VHSs of these kind of re-releases of classics did this where they would put the, the info on the movie before the movie. And that always kind of bugged me. We've had this discussion before. I, I don't like it and I don't understand it. I, I, like I said, I'm glad it's there. I wish it was after, though, you know, because I, I love seeing how they market a movie, but I would rather watch it after I've seen the movie. That's what I'm saying is like you can't put it before because what if I had never seen it? You just ruined it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's this was such a trend at this time for these re-releases. It's so frustrating. I wish uh, more people did the full moon thing, sticking it after <laughs> full moon. They knew what they were doing. Other than they also put sometimes trailers before their movies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so sometimes they forgot that they knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. So getting into this film. And now our feature presentation. We've got basically space truckers in space. Basically, we've got um, the Nostromo just doing doing the blue collar space work. And you've got your characters setting up real quick. You know, Yafet Koto is kind of like the union guy. He's mm-hmm. always worried about his pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Time got, he's putting in. Yep. Yep. Harry Dean Stanton playing Brett, who's always agreeing with him. He's just as, you know, they're two of the like the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Introduce really fast to all these characters and kind of their characteristics. You get Veronica Cartwright, who's playing Lambert, and she's a worrier. 
she is, uh, I think Ridley Scott said, she's basically the audience. Yeah, that's what I was going to compare her to, especially you really, really solidifies that during the chestburster scene, because she is the one freaking out the most and being like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> uh, and then you've got the two, like, you know, people in charge. You've got Tom Skerritt, who's playing Dallas, and he's the captain. But he's like this captain where he's just like, oh, I got to do this stuff. He's just going through the motions of being the captain, I guess you could say. Putting it on his crew to do their jobs. And Sigourney Reaver, who is playing Ripley. And this is her first movie, by the way, because she would she was in theater uh, and a producer really liked her. And, you know, Ridley Scott said, yeah, once we saw her, she was fantastic. First movie. That's pretty incredible. Uh, first performance in front of the camera, which is different. I mean, they even point that out in the commentary here. It's kind of amazing to see that this is her first performance, but you can tell she was just ready to be a star. Uh, magnetic on screen, you know, for not being a screen actress originally. She just commands the screen, and maybe that is a stage thing. You know, you got to command the stage. So she definitely commands every room she's in. She feels more like the captain than the captain because the captain's so lax, and she is just so... She's by the book, but she's also questioning authority as well. Yeah, that, I would say that was her two characteristics. She follows the book, you know, she doesn't like to do anything else. It's just like, this is the way it's supposed to be done. Let's do it. You know, and if leadership doesn't agree with that, she's going to be vocal, mm -hmm. which annoys the shit out of Dallas. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> he don't want to die. <laughs> Dallas just wants to go home and get this over with. <laughs> yeah, it's like I said, he's just going through the motions. He's just like, oh, fine, I'll do this. Oh, whatever. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, I just feel like he's constantly like, I don't know if it's rolling your his eyes, but he's just like ugh, sighing a lot. Yeah, he's sighing over all these things he has to do. That this should have just been easy. <laughs> yeah, and then the last character I would say Ian Holm, who's playing Ash. So the secret in this film is we don't know he's an android, uh, and they try to make him human-like, but you always notice there's something a little odd about him. About twenty minutes in the film, they start to really play it up. I think they play it up so well, though, because he could be just, you know, sneaky or, or whatever. You know, there's there's no way unless you've seen the movie already that you would ever think that he's uh, a robot that, you know, was trying to bring this thing back for the company. You would never think that it it, it does. It doesn't it plants enough seeds, like you said, like 20 minutes in. That there's something up with him, but you never get like it never spoils it. Yeah, I think they do such a good job. And, you know, you throw all these characters together. They're all waking up. And this movie's so simple. This is also something I love about this. They get uh, a SOS and the company wakes them up to go check it out. Well, some of you may have figured out we're not home yet. We're only halfway there. Mother's interrupted the course of our journey. Why? Yeah. She's programmed to do that should certain conditions arise. They have. Like what? Seems she has intercepted a transmission of unknown origin. She got us up to check it out. A transmission? Out here? Yeah. What kind of a transmission? Acoustical beacon that uh, repeats at intervals of 12 seconds. SOS? I don't know. Human? And we also get another character in this that is not really part. It's not part of any of the other franchises. Mother. 
The Spaceship Computer. Yes, kind of 2001 Space Odyssey-esque sort of uh, brain computer that has all the answers for them you know am i gonna what is my percentage of survival or whatever type thing Uh, yeah we don't see this in any of the other ones but it works for this i think you need it kind of for this movie yeah i like it it's definitely part of past sci-fi films we don't really see the living computer brain anymore most of it's just like you know it turns into more of like a star trek we're like wielding the power or we put it in androids. So this movie kind of is interesting because it has both androids and like the mother brain. Maybe it's the passing of the sci-fi torch. You know, it's like we have, are leaving the big brain computer and putting that computer into people now. <laughs> and uh, that's the passing of the torch as Star Wars and droids sort of take over the sci-fi genre. I feel like the mother computer was a time of the 60s and early 70s. And then maybe it was Star Wars that just kind of like, okay, it doesn't make any sense to have like a mother computer like that. It made more sense to have like functioning androids that aid us in our travel. And that's what we get here with the Ash character. And he is honestly a a delicious performance because of the intrigue of like oh what's he up to and then when it's kind of revealed and he's so emotionless and cold about it i think he's really good in this there's gotta be a way of killing it how how do we do it you can't that's bullshit you still don't understand what you're dealing with do you perfect organism it's structural perfection is matched only by its hostility you admire it. I admire its purity. A survivor, unclouded by conscience, remorse, or delusions of morality. I've heard enough of this, and I'm asking you to pull the plug. Last word. I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. Yeah, I think two characters were written for the actors. I think John Hurt's Kane was written for him and Ian Holmes' Ash was written for him. And those are two of the, well, at least Ian Holm was probably the most veteran actors of the crew. Yeah, we kind of get the uh, the Janet Lee, Drew Barrymore kind of character with uh, John Hurt because we think he's going to be more of a thing and he's gone halfway through the movie because of the chestburster. <laughs> yeah, and he was perfect too because he was the curious character. He was the one that wanted to know and he, yep. that's why he stuck his face in that thing. <laughs> Curiosity kills the cat and that's exactly. what happened. He at first wasn't even in this film. That's a really, you know that story? No. Uh, so he was, they wanted him. He couldn't. He was doing another film. In South Africa, he traveled down there, and for some reason, they wouldn't let him in. It turns out there was someone else who had a very similar name to him. So he wasn't allowed in to South Africa, so he had to come back to the States. And the guy who took over his role as Kane got sick. They found out he was a diabetic, but he didn't know. So then John Hurt's like, oh, now I'm available. And there you go. That is how you get one of the most iconic characters in Alien, is luck yeah sometimes it's just meant to be you know yeah and i wonder how many of his scenes are uh shot because they did show one scene but you know what with a small movie like this it couldn't have been that far into shooting because they couldn't afford to reshoot all this yeah i would imagine they didn't get very far like 
And more of a like a Eric Stoltz and uh, Back to the Future kind of way. <laughs> yeah, like maybe three or four days in, and they're like, eh, "It's not not working." <laughs> Other than I think Back to the Future made it even farther, and wasn't it like a whole week? Something like that. Yeah. Anyway, back to this. They land on a planet. Their ship gets fucked up. They gotta fix it, but at the same time, they're gonna check out this uh, SOS, and then we get introduced to just like one of these scenes in a movie that have has propelled the entire franchise. Truly. And like, even when we thought it was over, whoosh, looped right back to this part uh, yep. with the later half of this franchise. I'm very intrigued. Like, the, especially the first time I saw this movie, I'm utterly fascinated by the space jockey and sort of that journey. I'm not I'm not wholly satisfied with the story that Prometheus and Covenant give us in my head. I feel like I could just the worlds I'm creating beyond are so interesting of just what is this giant captain space jockey thing and what did it experience with these things? I just don't want to even get into Prometheus. I don't like it. That's just what I'm saying. I don't like like 75 percent of the story. I actually really like Prometheus, but I like I was saying uh, with uh, this sort of space jockey, it's like I like it for its insular thing. But in terms of the mythology, I almost kind of like what my brain creates more than what that movie's giving me. But as an insular thing where I'm not necessarily building it into the mythology, I like the movie. But uh, yeah, I like I like what my brain creates for like this space jockey and sort of what's going on on this planet and what happened here. How did we mm-hmm. get here? Well, the problem with Prometheus is they are having their cake and eating it, too. They're taking mythology from this film, but then going, oh, yeah, but this is like different. It's a different story. Like, what the yeah. fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and then they clumsily try to smash the two stories together in Covenant. <laughs> <sighs> I just I don't like Prometheus. I don't. There's a lot of um, Ridley Scott. I just don't like. I think once we enter the mid to late portion of the 90s and and on. I mean, sometimes there's something there's elements in a lot of his movies, but I don't know as a whole how many of his movies I like after the early 90s. Honestly, just throwing it out there. I'm I'm more of a. Ridley Scott fan. I, I like his stuff, but I, I, I see the story issues and stuff, especially in like the Prometheuses and stuff like that. I just think he's a really good visual director. However, sometimes with his more recent movies, he's not really doing visual stories. You know, he's doing more dramas or whatever, and those aren't as interesting to me. But when he's got a canvas to play with, I think he is a good visual filmmaker. I mean, in terms of the Scots, I've always been obviously more of a Tony Scott guy because Duh. I love all those movies, all those wild, crazy action movies. But like, I'm a fan of Ridley's as well. No, I look at uh, his filmography, Robin Hood, Prometheus, yes. The Counselor. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Exodus, Gods and Kings, Alien Covenant. I, like there's just he's not the same guy to me anymore. Exodus, Gods and Kings is a really fun trash movie. Uh, oh, it's trash. That is it's correct. A, it's a, it's visually stimulating and very fun uh, for just like a bad kind of one of those kind of movies. <laughs> I just don't understand. I, I think it honestly started with G.I. Jane, which I didn't see. I never saw that one. You're not missing much. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I think Thelma and Louise is probably his last great film. And then a lot of the other one. Well, I, people are going to disagree because they're going to like Gladiator was amazing. And I'm, I like Gladiator. I just like. Black Hawk Down actually might be 
but see, I, like Gladiator and Black Hawk Down, I'm not as in love with those films as everyone else. It's just what it is. I'm I'm like that with Gladiator. I think Gladiator's fine. I think it does what it needs to do. But I do. I love Black Hawk Down. I think that's a great movie. <laughs> I, but again, it's it's it, visuals. I just think Ridley Scott is a great visual storyteller. Maybe some of the scripts aren't as tight or good because he's not he's never a writer he's always just the visual guy i think the visuals in uh black hawk down are amazing i think it's like just a great looking movie but uh that's just me you know i just like the visuals but i I get it i totally get it like he is he totally did shift as like a filmmaker as he got older Mm -hmm. for sure Give me uh, Saving Private Ryan and Tom Hanks any day of the week. That's what I'm saying. That's it. Yeah, I was in in the verses. I was always more of a Black Hawk Down guy, but like apples and oranges. I still love Spielberg too. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard not to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's there's so many great ones that you can just pick from almost any genre you want. Ba- but basically, summation: these kind of filmmakers, I am attracted to. I love sort of seeing where Ridley Scott went after this, after mm-hmm. Alien, you know, and obviously I love Spielberg and was talking about Tony Scott and stuff like that. I love these kind of filmmakers. And uh, I think Ridley really burst on the scene with this one. Oh, I know. And in terms of just visuals and going back to like the space jockey scene and stuff like that, the production design and the set design are amazing. And I would imagine there were limitations. Uh, mm-hmm. 79, I'm sure they had a decent budget. They've got a great cast and stuff like that and a great suit for the alien. But I can't imagine this being a you know super mega budgeted blockbuster kind of movie. And it sure looks like it when we're on that planet. I mean, the production design is absolutely breathtaking and incredible. It is. Uh, one of the really cool things about this movie that I found out watching it this time was the reason everyone's uncomfortable is because the interiors... Uh, the ceilings were lower than what they probably should have been because uh, they made it, you know, to feel uncomfortable. But then they forgot, like, the camera people have to be in and everything like that. So he actually went with it because he noticed the actors, even though they could stand up straight, most of them would lean down because they felt like the ceiling was coming on, you know, was like on top of them. And he just went with it. Adds to the claustrophobia. It yep. adds to the claustrophobia of the whole thing because this movie is very claustrophobic from start to finish. Plus, you get all these amazing close-ups and tight shots in this movie because of that. I love, oh, there's so many good shots in this. How he decides, like, he always puts technology or something industrial in the foreground uh, and then has his characters, like, interact with each other in them. I noticed that a lot. Uh, James Cameron brought that up because he decided not to go with that look and feel in the next one i think having like the the technology in the foreground like that makes it feel also like a threat you know like kind besides of, yeah. just the alien being a threat it's like technology is also not your friend here uh because it's like yeah so in your face and in the foreground like that and just buttons be booping everywhere <laughs> you know because oh 70s 70s computers and stuff yes. like that but it, it adds to the tension in the, of it or whatever it makes it feel achy uh, having the, the our actors who should be like our main focal point kind of behind the computer. And it, it, you know, I guess is begging the questions that the Prometheus and the Covenant asks later, you know, who comes first, the computer or the man type thing. So we're exploring it early on here. Yeah. And another thing he brought to the production, he saw them building the design of the ship 
and everything made sense like nice round corners so people could continue to walk and no sharp edges but he goes yeah i understand that's how it should look but we're not doing that uh he goes i'm making a film that is supposed to be scary no one needs to know what's about to uh, attack them on the other side of that wall or the corner of it so i thought that was great because they were bringing in all this stuff from like aircraft graveyards so that's how they built this production set they were taking they were frankensteining it together which is what makes it look so good because it's so much different than the Star Wars look where you had nice clean ships. Even though Star Wars also wasn't like Sterling, which made it good, like with the Millennium Falcon and stuff. But I'm talking about like the Empire ships mm-hmm. where everything was nice, neat and clean. They clearly had maids coming at night to clean everything up, or, you know, <laughs> cleaners like we do with our offices now. And uh, in this one. There's no one to clean that. It's up to the crew. And if anyone's worked with anyone in an office, we all know your coworkers are not very good at that. Yeah, it's just like a lot of like grit and steam and just like, yeah, stuff doesn't look like it's functioning at 100%, you know, in the background. I think this I, and I, and you need and you need corners to do a haunted house movie. And I think yep. because this is a haunted house movie, you, yeah, you have to have something to be you need a corner for something to peek around. I just think that the sets, you know, God bless them for Frankenstein and what they do. I think these sets are pretty unforgettable. And I think it's, mm-hmm. you know, in like, I guess just like a super nerdy aspect. This is maybe one of my favorite ships I've seen in the movie. I think it makes a lot of sense because the company clearly does not care about this crew so much. It is very cheap rig. It falls apart when they land on the planet. They don't have very good food. They point that out multiple times. Uh, This is just, you know, it's something that the company sends out and it can always make money on it. It doesn't make a lot of money on whatever they're doing. But, you know, it's like one of these just send it out, duct tape that thing together. It's just what they do with truckers nowadays, you know, truckers Mm -hmm. who will go on wheels until they explode. And then we have to swerve and miss them on the road when we're traveling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think that gets tied to exactly what you said at the beginning. These guys truly are space truckers. That's what they're doing. And I also love that Ridley Scott plays right into that this movie is a slasher. And he brought it up in the two thousand or in the nineteen ninety nine commentary that I listened to. I didn't like how they had everyone on the two thousand three commentary. I like the ninety nine commentary where it's just him and Sigourney Weaver. And they were talking about, you know, all this stuff throughout this. And he's just like very detailed about what he did and all this and the space truckers. And then he talks about how everyone compares it to a slasher. And he said, well, I was more comparing it to a hunter. But really, isn't a hunter, isn't it just like a slasher? It's taking out people one by one. If you're trying to take down a pack of wolves, you're not just going to run in the middle of it and take them out. You're going to take them out one by one. And that's exactly what this alien does. Yeah, I think the fact that it is, you know, it's sci-fi with, you know, your computers and everything like in the droids and you've got the haunted house aspect and then you've got the slasher aspect. I mean, this is just like candy for a horror fan. This is everything we like. (laughs) It really is. uh, We've said this multiple times and people will probably get annoyed, but this movie's perfect in my eyes. It's a masterpiece, and there's no argu- I mean, there's no arguing that. <laughs> I I can't 
I can't pick apart anything in this movie no. that like <laughs> because it's perfect. <laughs> and then I also love how H.R. Geiger was trying to like put together drawings of the ship. And they said, no, you only do the alien stuff because we want we want these two sets to smash together in a way. And the alien coming onto the ship, everything had to feel foreign inside of the alien ship and organic. And everything was designed by H.R. Geiger. Uh, and then everything outside of that, inside of the ship and everything was designed by a different production company and Ridley Scott and everything. And you feel it. It's so much different than when you enter this like foreign ship. I forget what it was called. Um, I always remember Nostromo as their ship, but I, I can't I have no idea why I don't remember the alien ship that they walk into. They name I'm, I'm blacking on the name, too. I don't remember either. We're terrible fans. <laughs> just watched this yesterday and i cannot remember but you know i watched aliens also so now they're all all weirdly swirled together in my brain <laughs> anyway it does a great job of feeling completely different than the actual ship and i think that's what makes it great having the alien in this ship just to like nip you know just to go and cherry pick the scenes the chestburster scene it's amazing that the how good this is because it's been ripped off so many times. It's this coming out of nowhereness of it, you know, where they're just sitting and laughing and then all of a sudden it happens. It's the violence of it. It's so gory and he's just like twitching around everywhere. And then really for like an audience who hasn't seen any of these other movies, it's the first time we're ever seeing anything that kind of looks like this come out of him. So it is really disturbing and jarring it really is and i don't know if you've heard the story that like the explosion i think happened early so all the reactions from the actors are real yeah i do i remember hearing that uh veronica cartwright was like don't get any blood on me so immediately really scott was like well i'm gonna shoot blood only on her (laughs) (laughs) oh she just freaks out yeah and I think that's that's the reaction that's really in the movie, because I don't think she knew she was about to get squirted. <laughs> and it's funny. It it freaked her out so much and they left the cut in. She flies back and falls against the wall and falls down. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, it's it, it, it. It just plays that realness is what plays up that scene so well. It makes it so like kind of stomach churning when you're watching it as an audience. Uh, and yeah, you can tell that the alien is on like a little track running away, but I don't care. It look if you're if your focus is on the alien, which it should be like, it looks so weird and gross and everything like that. I feel like I don't even pay attention to that because I'm just looking at the thing and be like, Ew, what is that? <laughs> How it's like little tail thing like unwraps around it. Oh, I love it. It looks it looks like the alien. How we see it later was like a sperm. You know, that's kind of what it looks like. And ew, (laughs) it's because I've heard this so much, you know, with H.R. Geiger and how he's just like loves his feminine sexuality and all of his art. So you've got a face hugger that comes on, which is kind of like a vagina. Mm -hmm. And I've heard people kind of stretch the meaning of that. I've heard people some with STDs and I'm like, yeah, it seems like a stretch, but Face hugger is clearly a vagina with fingers and a little dick that impregnates you. Though. Yes. Like <laughs> and it's weird, right? It's like he took a yeah. vagina and a dick and just smashed it together. <laughs> and then the chest burster is kind of like a sperm. 
mm-hmm. which is weird. And then when you get a full alien, I heard someone else compare it because it's like a giant dickhead. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. like I don't know what he he's he's so everything has to be sexual with this guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Geiger's a, a crazy pervert, <laughs> crazy foreign pervert. Love him. Uh, but uh, yeah, it is. It's like it's got like this this kind of dickhead. And then it's like this but like this feminine kind of body, you know, slender. Yeah. Yeah, the way it moves, I feel like is very feminine. But yeah, it's got a big dickhead. <laughs> The, the crashing of the different like sexual organs on these things is, again, probably what makes it so disturbing. And then uh, when they were designing the face hugger, because initially what the one guy had had an idea was, I can't remember, an octopus. And so he told Geiger that and he's like, well, that's what I was thinking. And Geiger's like, I get it. OK, I have an idea. And then he comes back and they had to. This is so weird how they had to get his drawings because instead of like sending it by normal mail, I guess he sent it by some weird carrier and they had to travel and all. Anyway, when they got the illustrations on it, they just were in awe of like how foreign slash creepy this thing was. Yeah, I mean, I think Geiger is such an essential part of this alien sort of building here that you know this the structure of i guess the franchise that would come later his look and his design of these things is so essential but like if you think about it he's just some weird old pervert who's making this weird crazy shit (laughs) oh he does the same thing with species too absolutely absolutely does the exact same thing with species (laughs) it's like that that uh franchise is so iconic because of the design of the species, and it's just from the same old pervert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if we ever come up with a franchise, we've got to find an old pervert to draw it all. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's the way to go to make an iconic sort of, like, line of creatures, family line of creatures. <laughs> yep, that's it. We found the secret. We're going to do it. We just uh, gotta find out an old pervert somewhere. I'm sure they're pretty. They're, they're everywhere. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it is. It's like that. It's it's sort of playing, I guess, on our fear of sex and sex organs and things like that as well as a society. So, and, or or if it's not fear, then sex sells. You know, so we're interested in this creature because it has such a sexual nature to it. Yeah, it just works. It just it makes such sense. Well, and it has acid for blood, so we should fear sex. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's it. <laughs> kind of a stretch, but just trying could to come be. up with something. Could be, could be. Who knows? Yeah, so the alien uh, stalks each one, one by one, takes people out, and Yafet Koto is just, I love him. I, I really do. I know Ridley Scott couldn't stand him during the filming, but he did say in his commentaries, just like, it was rough to put up with. He was constantly coming up with ideas. He was constantly wanting to try things. And I was just trying to get through this movie because, you know, we had a limited time. We had a limited budget. And Yafet Koto is like, what if I did this? But he says uh, he shines through his character. Absolutely. He could just be the blue collar grunt. Yafet Koto and Harry Dean Stanton have so much personality in those characters that like, yeah, you're unforgettable. Yeah, how about when uh, Ash goes crazy and uh, Yafet Koto just bashes his head in? <laughs> Wonderful. I could, I could watch this Ash character get taken apart and bleed milk all day long. 
Milk blood. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the milk blood. I think it's fine. <laughs> I don't understand it, and I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It looks cool. <laughs> yep. I also love it when uh, Kane's got his head. Like how they have to prop his head up, and you know <laughs> why. I just love old special effects like that. It's so yeah. charming. Yeah, it, it's just there. You know, it's real, and you could tell. And it doesn't matter that it looks like a dummy head switching to the real head. It doesn't matter because it's it's right there. And it's, you know, you got the neck appliance and shit on him. And yeah, there's fucking milk blood everywhere. It looks great. Ridley Scott can't stand that. But he's like, yeah, I couldn't do anything about it. That fake head looks really good, though. It looks like a person. So it's, just, it's the edit. It's the switch between, I think, mm-hmm. that kind of gives it away. But the head looks good, I thought. <laughs> yeah, I guess he was mad at the head because... Uh... They left it out for a couple days, and when they came back to reshoot, it had shrunk just a little bit. Oh, wow. And had like a weird smile on it. But they covered it in milk, so <laughs> or whatever they were using as milk blood. That's so funny. I love that I love that it shrunk. That's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> now another thing that he he's like back and forth on, he's like, I love the alien suit. I think it was amazing what they did, but he was always disappointed that it looks like a suit. Uh, when they start showing the alien like come after Sigourney Weaver and stuff like that. I just think that's another part of the charm. I don't really I've that's never mind. I've never minded that. Yeah, I mean, they've got this skinny, really tall guy in there. So it already kind of looks like otherworldly anyway. You know, it's not like a normal kind of body shape. So it it already looks strange. And yeah, maybe. Yeah, it looks like a guy in a suit, but like. The, its movements are weird and like you've got this weird tails and spikes sticking out of it. I think it, it looks interesting enough that you really don't think guy in suit when you see it. Yeah, it's one thing that Ridley Scott said about James Cameron's next one and the third one and the fourth one that he's like the evolution of the alien xenomorph. He's like just keeps getting better. Yeah, I think it is interesting that they've kind of opened up the world, you know, because we we see like kind of the warrior aliens and the dog aliens and then whatever the hell things are going on in four. (laughs) But uh, I love I love this original design, though, the suit with like this all jet black, sleek black, kind of wet, like it's always sweating with the kind of see through dome head where you see like the skull almost underneath it. I love this design. I think it's incredible. Yeah, and I guess the whole point of why they changed the one... I don't know why they did. They changed it a little bit from the first to the second. But uh, I don't think... They got rid of like the see-through stuff in the second one. This one, I it is kind of interesting how unique it is. And this must be because of Geiger. Because I think 20th Century Fox really didn't want to work with him as much in the second one. <laughs> Yeah, because he's a weirdo. (laughs) Pretty sure they're like, we got Stan Winston. We'll be fine. (laughs) Utterly unique design and like the way it moves, like sort of its reveal with Harry Dean Stanton when the tail kind of drops or like when uh, Dallas is in the vent and it just kind of reaches its hands out for him. It just looks so weird and unnatural the way it's moving. The way it's moving the way it's always wet, the way it looks, and then you add Jerry Goldsmith's music on top of that. Wow. I, I, this The last 15 minutes of this movie is so 
tense. You're just gripped in it. You know, you've got her trying to self-destruct the ship and then trying to stop the self-destruction. It's too late. And then she's got to run. Then she's like stripping down to get inside of a spacesuit to fling this alien into outer space. Everything's tense. And it doesn't let up. I mean, like I, I was saying sort of the slow burn of the first half, but it truly is like once the second half kicks in, Oh my God, it never lets up. And yeah, especially ramps up to a hundred by the time you get to the last 15 minutes, you're like, what are we going to do if I can get rid of this thing? <laughs> uh, I know. And how Ash says, I think is Ash kind of what starts the, this is like a perfect organism. Yeah. So it really seems like the androids throughout this um, series are more fascinating with, with the like xenomorph. Because I even feel like Bishop in the second one, and then of course we get in the Prometheus and everything, where the androids realize that this actual species is a lot stronger than the humans. And then the humans are more like, fuck that, I hate it, kill it. But we have to study it, we have to learn it. <laughs> the company wants specimens. <laughs> well, those are those are the douchebags who like want to yeah. turn it into a weapon for profit. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that, like you said, the cyborgs are so interested in cyborgs androids robots i'm probably pissing so many uh, sci-fi people off because i'm calling it everything (laughs) but the android uh the fact that they are these man-made sort of to be perfect creatures you know they're they are void of the human emotions and they're they're made to be these perfect worker droids you know especially this one working for the company and they're almost confused and elated by the fact that there is this creature that is more earth or not earth but like organically made that is the perfect organism whereas something that is crafted like a droid to be a perfect organism isn't still as perfect as this organic thing and i think they're fascinated by that yeah that's probably it let's see well we we end it uh, she shoots the alien out of the uh, airlock and it's a lot of fun um i kind of went through all my behind the scenes talking about all the highlights of it you got anything no uh, i think that about covers it all right let's go on to the museum this is the second time i've had to reclaim my property from you that belongs in a museum so do you this is the part of the show where we go out in the film jungle like indy and bring something back it's our first alien review Oh, man, Ridley Scott, you're going to make it really hard on us. I could put in a lot of this. I don't even know where to start. Yeah, there's a lot uh, we could put in here because it's a perfect movie. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of a genre we both like, too. You know, so there's so much going on for it. There's so much intrigue and there's there's so much unanswered questions that, yeah, they answer later. But I kind of wish they didn't. Uh, That, you know, (laughs) it just makes your brain makes your brain kind of go uh but i i think i know what i'm going to put in there and for me we i just briefly mentioned it but i I didn't talk about it fully because i wanted to talk about it here the image of the alien in the air duct reaching for dallas i think is one of the single greatest images in like a horror movie period and i think i just want to put that whole snapshot in the museum because it encapsulates how cool the alien looks and how weird it moves and stuff like that 
Um, it's a way to get the alien, I guess, in the in the museum. But I really love that frame, and I love the way it reaches out. It feels like such a horror moment in the movie, and it's like it gives me tingles to think about it. And I love, I just love seeing it. It is. It's very iconic. Uh, one of the what I'm going to put in is what I always think is like really underappreciated in this franchise, and it is the face hugger. Yeah. It looks amazing in this movie. <laughs> I feel like later on it, it's gotten a better reception. But in the earlier movies, I just feel like people didn't talk about it a lot. Um, and now we've got like facehugger mask out. And, you know, I, I just feel like it's it's very much embraced now. But at the beginning, I, I don't think people really paid attention to it much because they were just fascinated by the xenomorph, which I understand. Uh, but yeah, I really like it. And I also like how it's just like has one job. Latch on, impregnate, die. Yep. It's a very short lived life. That's it. It's to create more of them. Just create more of these things, uh, you know, through breeding with whatever it can breed with. Uh, yeah, it serves one purpose and it's gross and it's nasty and it does its thing. And the thing it does is nasty because it's like impregnating your throat gross <laughs> yeah uh and then coming out of that egg it's just how it leaps out at you i love it yeah very frightening very just shocking there's so many cool like like i said the space jockey i love the way the little sperm alien looks in the chestburster scene like i love the looks of all these fucking things it's they're so cool uh i i could put all of them in the museum <laughs> yeah i think that's what's so hard about this franchise too when we go through this there's so much to put in yeah they, i mean that's why this franchise is so delicious to dig in on there's so much visually going on all the time in all these movies there's so much effects going on and everything just like looks cool <laughs> and so like of course this is such an easily bingeable franchise because you're always got something to look at Okay, that'll end our look at the first one, the first Alien movie that you voted on for us to watch. And next week, we're going to have a special guest on to go through, well, guess what, folks? It's it's the second one. It's Aliens. <laughs> um, we're not going to trick you by uh, going through each one separately. Like, oh, first we did three, then we did uh, one, and ha No surprises here. We're going to go straight through the series. Ashley will be joining us for Aliens to talk about, uh, to really just take it apart because that one you know it's it's a lot of building blocks that we examine fully on that one it takes a different look at the franchise and it expands on the mythology of the franchise um and then we get of course it's stan winston so that's always going to be fun really looking forward to continuing talking about uh you know aliens as this franchise grows and then i'm also still looking forward to talking the rest of the series too because i think there's some really interesting stuff throughout I, I don't think this movie series ends with one and two like i think some people they only watch these two i think there's an, enough stuff to talk about honestly on both of the the back end of this franchise i think uh alien 3 and resurrection are going to have some interesting conversations as well as we continue to go through the series oh definitely alien 3 to me has a lot stuff to talk about behind the scenes what's in front of the camera there's a lot to talk about the fourth one is what is a complete mystery to me because i don't watch it often uh i don't remember particularly liking much of it but uh you know new eyes fresh eyes let's see what we got exactly yeah so this will be this is thank you for voting on this everybody this is a very this is honestly a perfect franchise for us to dig on so remember to be kind and rewind 